for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hi there. I thought I'd just nip on and let you know that I'm excited to be back doing training delivery in 2024. It kind of came around organically as people reached out to me, some of which had listened to me on the podcast, and I realised how much I love it. So the sorts of training that I'm delivering in-house for clients, I deliver my Change Superhero programme, which just got rave reviews from a government organisation. I also do management and leadership training and specific topics under performance. I'm running sessions on that, which is really interesting because that seems to have changed since COVID, uh, what underperformance looks like. And many managers are finding that challenging. So I've got a lovely blended course that I run there. And obviously other management and comms or facilitation, I'm really happy to deliver in line with the requirements of your business. So if you'd like to work with me personally, uh, I I've got limited availability, but I do have availability and I'm looking for clients that want to work with me during 2024. So do reach out if you want to discuss your requirements. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week I have Victoria Winkler from the CIPD. She is the Standards and Professional Development Director. And we're going to go and dig deep into the CIPD profession map which I think some of us may have heard of, some of us may be following. Maybe we're wondering whether we should do more with it. So I thought it would be great really just to understand a bit about the origins of it um, and how we can get the most out of this um, this plan or this, this map for us to help us be the best we possibly can be. So Victoria, um, thank you so much for joining today. Obviously, would you like to introduce yourself in a bit more detail than I have? Oh, thank you for inviting me. So yes, I'm Standards and Professional Development Director at the CIPD. Within my remit, I have the setting of standards, including the profession map. I also have routes and pathways to membership. So our qualifications, endpoint assessment for apprenticeships, CPD activity, uh, direct routes to membership in terms of experience assessment. And we also do quite a lot of work with organisations uh, using the profession map, but also looking at our different assessment pathways. Wow, so that's a lot a lot there in terms of um, professional development, in terms of professional assessment. Um, so the profession map, I think I remember it coming out. I thought there might have been something that preceded it. Now, as I understand it, you were involved in the development of it. Would you like to explain a bit about the history? Yeah, so we did have a, uh, I guess, a set of professional standards. And as you might imagine, we've had a different variation of that over the years. 
The profession map as it is now uh, first came into fruition in November 2018. So actually scarily six years ago now. Wow. Um, we do occasionally still refer to it as the new profession map, um, but clearly it isn't any longer. Um, but yeah, a lot of work went into it. So we spent a lot of time talking to obviously both people, professionals, members and non-members, business leaders, academics, industry experts, both in the UK and internationally to really determine what might it look like, what's the commonality, the themes around being a people professional, how those things come together, what are the knowledge and the skills required at the different levels that really help individuals to have the very best impact that they can have within the workplace. And when you um, you did that development, I appreciate so it, was, it was global, it was huge numbers of, of people um, out there. Was it different to what people had thought in the past? Were there any surprises uh, in, in what you developed? Yeah, so I think what we tried to do, um, as opposed to editing what we already had, which of course was, you know, one option we could have taken, we really wanted to start with a blank sheet of paper. So talking about both what it meant to have a professional purpose, but also some of the more specifics. And I think that's what really came across as opposed to potentially last time we've been looking at it was this sense of professional values, what it means to be a member of the people profession and the impact that people are having to have within the workplace. Um, obviously at the time it was pre-COVID. So we then went into one of, I guess, the most unsettled times that we have done as a profession in terms of the asks upon us. But equally there was still quite a significant sense of change and helping organizations organizations through change at that point. So I think what was really exciting was kind of hearing people talk much more about things like evidence-based practice, talking about um, technology. And obviously we've seen that particularly over the last couple of years come to come to fruition in, I guess, a different way. So lots of different ideas coming up, but actually a lot of commonality around what people believed were some of the key things that both the people profession were there to do, are there to do, but also and behaviours. And I think for me, potentially as somebody who's kind of grown up in the people profession and spends my life talking to the people profession, potentially compared to some other um, uh, professional maps, looking at the behaviours felt particularly important for us as a profession, really understanding how those behaviours and those values underpin the knowledge, which is obviously critical, but aligning those two things is really important. Just to bring it to life, I'm going to get you to perhaps talk through the structure there. Um, could you give an example of, of, of how those kind of link together in terms of that? Is there one that would spring to mind? For I mean, even people who've probably gone through and been assessed and qualified, they perhaps don't have it at the top of their head as to how they might model it. No, funny that, that people don't spend their lives <laughs> always walking around thinking about how the profession map applies to them. And um, even I don't, I'm going to confess that. Um, so the way that the profession map is structured, so we start with the purpose of the profession at the heart of it, championing better work and working lives, really wanting to, and that was very much the feedback that we got was that professionals was keen to be identified with that wider purpose and driving that within organizations and obviously the wider working lives of individuals. We've then got the professional values that sit around it. So principles led, evidence-based, outcomes driven, really demonstrating actually that from a principles led perspective, individuals need to see, I guess, a little bit beyond the rules. Um, I think the people profession we know, we're often associated with policies, mm -hmm. um, 
a lot of them often, but really it's about decisions and actions being influenced by principles and beliefs. So putting knowledge and skills into the workplace. So of course we need the boundaries there, but actually making sure that we're putting that individual principled lens on everything that we're doing. Evidence-based, as the name would suggest, really looking at that kind of judgment piece. So not just about the numbers, although that's an important part of it, um, but the organizational data, the professional expertise, how the stakeholders value different things, pulling all of that together. And then outcomes driven, again, really looking at the impact that uh, individuals can have and how that plays through in obviously a number of different scenarios. So what we've then got are the core knowledge and core behaviours. So the core knowledge are the bits that we would expect really every professional, people professional, at different levels, of course, so I can talk a little bit about the levels, but they're the things that we would expect um, each people professional to have a good solid understanding of. So um, some things will be more specific to the profession, so people practice, culture and behaviour change, and then there are things like business acumen, so understanding the organisation, the commercial context, that wider world of work in order to put those kind of people policies um, into play. The core behaviours feature things like ethical practice, situational decision making, commercial drive, as I said, really kind of following through. So if we're looking at the knowledge piece of the business acumen, how then can you use that commercial drive, that commercial mindset, so that you're driving that personal responsibility for how you drive value and how you create value within your organisations? The kind of outer circle of the map, it is broadly speaking kind of a half circle. We've yet to come up with a perfect way of describing that. Uh, are the specialist knowledge areas. So recognising that not everybody will need to know everything about the specialist knowledge areas. That might be where you go to experts and you put into your business. But where somebody is uh, focusing on, for example, L&D, um, talent management reward, there are a number of them within the map. If that's your particular area of expertise or if that's where you particularly want to focus your own professional development for a period of time, they're the kind of extra standards, the extra impact we would expect you to have within that area. Right, so I mean, that's really helpful actually hearing how it all hangs together. Um, and in terms of people, maybe let's think about people listening out there. Maybe you've got somebody who's relatively new in to the to the profession. How would it? How would you start if you want to think about gaining a CIPD qualification? I mean, we can talk about why you might want to, but let's start. How would you start? And at different stages in your career, what what are the different levels? Yeah, so broad kind of overview, there are four different levels which do align to our membership grades, uh, foundation level, associate level, chartered member level and chartered fellow level. So for somebody new into the profession, I would recommend that they go in and have a little bit of a play around with the profession map, look at it, really become familiar with those values. But then I start by kind of digging into the foundation level. What are some of the things that you might need to know about? What are some of the things that it would be particularly, I guess, relevant um, and also interesting for you to take a further look at? So we do have a self-assessment tool on our website. So if you are a CIPD member, you can go in and access the full self-assessment tool. If you haven't joined as a member yet, you can go in and access kind of a snapshot of the information. And that's a great way if you're early on in your career, if you're thinking, 
okay, where do I think I might go? Where do I think some of the stretch might be required? You can go in and you can self-assess yourself against uh, both the knowledge, the behaviours and the specialist knowledge if you're interested in that. I would suggest you don't try and go in and assess yourself against everything. That might be a little bit overwhelming to kick off. I think I'd pick a couple of areas of core knowledge, a couple of the core behaviours and maybe one specialist knowledge area that you're interested in. And you can go in, you can assess yourself and that will then give you some recommendations in terms of both kind of practical guidance that you can go and look at kind of learning resources, both ours and others, um, you know, classic podcasts, everything that the way in which we absorb information in, in, uh, in the world today. But it will also give you some tips around if you are new in the profession and potentially you think you want to develop further and change. Here are some of the things that actually within your organisation, you might be able to look out for these kind of projects to go, actually, I'd really like to be getting involved in that. Is there anything I could get involved in that has that remit? So there's both the kind of the, the knowledge and the learning, but there's also the in the workplace. These are the kind of things you might want to be getting involved in, which I think that balance is really helpful. So you're really what you're saying is you're it's not a case of going on a training course or signing up something automatically. You can people will have some experience that they can self-assess and almost um, define their own their own development path using your recommendations and resources. Yeah, of course. And it, it sits alongside. So obviously we have our qualifications. So if people are seeking to acquire that different knowledge, then we'd obviously recommend that people go on those. We always we also have our experience assessment pathway to membership. So if someone were to go into the map and actually self-assess with a fairly high degree, I guess, of uh, confidence that they felt they were already at that chartered member level, then they could take that pathway into membership if that was something that they were interested in doing. I actually think I did that. Um, I don't know which one I did. Uh, one, of your, <laughs> one of your colleagues, because I'm a child, I'm a psychologist by background, so I had done certain things. And I've just been in house, so I, I went through that route, and it was a really interesting conversation that I had with one of your colleagues, and it was very much about um, real examples about what have you done. Have you got an example of where almost like a competency interview, I suppose, in terms of examples of where you've done something like that? Um, and I think it is helpful to have that because I didn't necessarily want to go through start from the beginning. Um, in terms of that but people who want to kind of start out and do the qualifications what would they how how would they do that if they felt they wanted the confidence of maybe working with other people or having the sort of official training yeah and it's that kind of knowledge acquisition piece isn't it I always think of it if somebody has um, got a certain level in their career and they've acquired that knowledge as, as you will have done and that experience that's one thing but as you say when you're slightly earlier on or you're looking to progress in a different way then maybe you're looking for something slightly more different around the formal knowledge um so we have qualifications at different levels um so recognizing that people will come in uh, at different stages in their career and potentially progress through those qualifications although you don't have to progress through in a kind of linear way um and really again it's about i would say looking at the standards on the profession map, looking at the information, obviously being cognizant of how much experience you've got yourself um, to kind of come in at either kind of the advanced diploma, um, which is obviously the highest one, which is equivalent to a postgraduate diploma. Um, so the sort of level seven, and we work with a number of universities around that as well. Um, and then you have the associate diploma and then the kind of introductory to people practice piece. So depending on where you are, 
um, you should be able to sort of make a fairly easy judgment call in terms of what's the kind of level of knowledge that I need to get at this point in time. Is it that introductory piece that I need? Maybe I'm not in the people profession yet, but I'm really interested in getting into it. Or potentially, you know, I've got a little bit more experience, so I might kind of skip to that middle level. Um, we work with a number of study centres, so both our own website, um, but our customer services team can give some guidance as to kind of which are the right qualifications to do. Um, but there are, you know, we can work with people and understand and also our study centres offer a really, really wide variety of kind of methodologies of learning. So you can do it purely online, you can do as you might anticipate a kind of blend of face to face and digital, or you can do purely face to face, although these days, actually, particularly since COVID, most of it is face to face with some digital on the side. Um, yeah. It's pretty rare to get the kind of full face to face. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, they're following all of kind of the uh, the curriculum that we've set and the criteria but again it depends on kind of what you want from it so some of the online study centers um, it will be kind of on-demand learning so whenever you want to do it you can access um, uh, the teaching materials some of it still follow a more kind of set pattern in terms of signing up to um, the different sessions and I guess it's it's identifying which works best for you in terms of both time frames and kind of the commitment that you can make to it but yeah I mean that that's kind of if I look back over the last 10 years or so that's the most significant difference is the variety of options that are now available to individuals um, as opposed to kind of dare I say it when I was back looking to qualify which is way more than 10 years ago even um, and it was pretty much you kind of went and sat and spent your Thursday afternoon in a classroom somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So so it sounds flexible uh, in terms of that. Can I just check? Am I right in saying so? Did you say there were three? There was an introductory associate and an advanced, and they were all diplomas. Was that right, or did I miss, did I miss something? Um, yeah. So they're all diplomas. So we've got five qualifications. So there's the introductory one, mm -hmm. and then at um, at the kind of associate level, uh, there's one in people practice. There's one in people development. So learning and development, and it's the same at level seven. Oh, right, uh, so, sorry, that, so you've got two options each. Yeah. And then does it end up being a certificate or is it all diploma? I seem to feel that it was a certificate in my head. That was all I was. They are, so they are all diplomas these days. And then you said that you obviously um, buddy up with either academic institutions or providers for people to, to choose the form of learning for, for them. Is it the case that they would come to the website and search for a provider or would they go to Google or to a university near them and go, is it CIPD accredited? How would people, what's the start point for people? Yeah, so what I would suggest, so apologies, the foundation is actually a certificate level, I should oh, have okay. said that, and then you've got the associate and the advanced diploma. So right. what we have, um, and well, I probably shouldn't um, give this comparison to a cosmic. What you can do is go onto our website and you can look at what is the right COPD qualification for you. So you can look at, um, and I guess you're going to look at it from a, a couple of different perspectives. So you're going to look at it from a level perspective, which is the right level for me to be studying at. But then you can put in, I guess, your requirements around how flexible do you want it to be? What do you want that blend to be of um, in-person versus digital learning? Um, and then obviously, if you're looking for something in person, um, you, obviously you can search by your geography so you get a sense of what is right for you. Um, 
And then it really is a case of you'll get a list of kind of our approved providers. So you'll get a sense of what they look like. And then you, you can go and do a bit more investigation, have conversations with those different providers to work out which is the right one for you. Great. Okay, that's really helpful. And perhaps we'll get the link from you as to where on the website. Yeah, of course. There's so much yeah. content on this on your website, isn't it? So it'd be helpful to... There is, yeah. Point. And that's the thing. I think, you know, we, we've tried to make it as easy as possible. So now you literally can go in and it will ask you a series of questions that will help you think through what is the right option to you for you as opposed to kind of going, here's everything, work out what works best. We will try and do our best to kind of guide you through so you can make those decisions. So if I looked at it then the other way, let's say, so that's someone who's maybe starting out or they want to build up and get the kind of classic qualification. If you're someone who's been in a, in a role for a while, but you actually just want to do some CIPD, you want to, um, I don't know, understand more about resourcing or talent management or one of the specialist areas, are there ways in which people can go and kind of go on to specialist topic? Are there things like that that they could do to develop themselves more in breadth rather than sort of... Yeah. Yeah, so if we were to um, go with resourcing as an example, if uh, either because you're new to that area or because you are experienced in it and you really want to make sure that you've got the widest breadth and of course continue with your own CPD, you can go onto the profession map, you can look at the standards that sit underneath resourcing, assess yourself against it. And what then comes out at the end is a series of recommendations. So I think, as I said before, there will be some more formal learning um, in terms of training courses available, learning courses available. There will also, in all likelihood, be a kind of spectrum of here's some of the free stuff that we offer for members, here's some of the paid for content, here's a different approach, here's some of the knowledge that sits behind it. Obviously, it can be things like here's a conference that's the most appropriate thing. So yeah, there's a real kind of spectrum of knowledge there. And I think also it's kind of pushing people to really think about, I believe I may be moving towards expertise in that area, or I believe I might be moving towards that next stage in my career. Let's just go in and sense check against those standards. Have I really thought through all of those things? Is my understanding where it needs to be? Because I think for all of us, realistically, you can kind of pick from the core knowledge, the core behaviours, all the specialist knowledge. There are always going to be areas that actually you can stretch yourself a little bit further in, whatever level you're at in your career. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. So one of the things that made me want to do this topic at this time of year is we've, we've been focusing in January a bit on well-being and, and development. And one of the things is also just thinking about your personal growth. And uh, a lot of our listeners, a lot of the HR advising listeners, there's very, 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 HR is a busy profession, right? Because they're not only busy in work, they're often very busy out of work as well. Yeah. That's yeah. the high um, female domination there. But um, anything that you'd sort of say, whether it's an adage in terms of how people can make time for it or how much time do they need to make? Because it's quite easy to either get your qualification and just see it as a badge and then not have time for your CIPD or any tips as to either to motivate people or to how to make it easier to create that time for development. 
Well, look, I'm not sure I can necessarily help people create the time because we all know we are super busy. Um, but I think what I really love about the profession map in particular, as I said, you can go into it and obviously there are lots of different areas. But what's great about the way that the self-assessment tool works and the way that the learning recommendation works is you don't need to go in and do it all. So, you know, it's a personal preference of mine, but I would always go in and just do it in bite-sized chunks. So um, I work with colleagues who have, we've been going through this and they kind of say, right, on a Friday morning, I put half an hour aside to just go in and pick one of the areas, you know, practice what we preach, to just pick one of the areas and do a bit of a deep dive on it, because then I think it feels manageable, doesn't it? I think you can then work out, OK, if I can do these things, how can I fit that into my learning? But I think if you just set that kind of dedicated time each week to go how or you know even every other week whatever is kind of appropriate for you to just take that dive in because I think then quite often you're quite motivated by well I could think about doing that or I could think about potentially looking at that bit of learning content or signing up for that kind of short sharp online training course whatever that might look like it feels much more manageable if you're kind of trying to take it I think bit by bit as opposed to going how am I doing as a professional in totality and where do I need to go next that's yeah. probably overwhelming and probably unachievable for all of us unless we're kind of gifted um, a significant piece of free time and, and it is a bit I think it, it is a bit overwhelming because I haven't looked at the self-assessment it's so thorough that you know you actually you would it would be brain melts, I think, if you tried to do all of it at once. So I think that's a great tip. So block in half an hour a week, if you can, your time, ring fence it for something. And what's really helpful about this is it's somewhere for you to go because you might have gone, oh, well, I do CIPD. Um, I'll go and read a magazine article or whatever. But it's maybe a little bit sort of hit and miss. Whereas here you could actually drill into a specific area, couldn't you, over time? Um, yeah, and, and I think it. it's always really easy, isn't it, to get sucked into. You can kind of search for something and you can pick things up. And as you say, you can get directed in a number of different ways. This, I think, is kind of quite a neat way of going okay, I really feel like I want to develop further in my change expertise. Here's kind of the top five things I could look at doing within the next couple of months. Um, we've also recently launched on the Learning Hub um, a kind of reflections tool so people can log the CPD that they're doing. Um, we don't run a kind of um, a point system, so it's not a requirement to do a specific amount of hours per year. But what we do ask is that people are thinking about their professional development, um, things that they're doing for that, they're reflecting on the impact that that's had for them. But having kind of the self-assessment, a lot of the learning materials, and then the reflections tool all within kind of one hub on that learning hub means that you can kind of go in, get that kind of recommended I say learning plan obviously you're going to embellish on it with the things that you want to do these are a set of recommendations you're going to pick and choose the things that are best for you but you've then also got the opportunity to go actually I did this thing and this is how it's impacted on me and this is what was really great about it and this is potentially what I need to do next and this is the key is actually learning is reflecting on things it's using things that's yeah. how not just um, going in and doing it when you say the learning hub is that um, an offshoot from this where's the learning hub so uh, the Learning Hub is, yeah, it's sort of an offshoot, I guess, of the COPD website. So it's a place that brings together um, informa further information about the profession map, but are kind of a lot of um, 
the learning. So there's um, on there, for example, for COPD members, there's a lot of free short courses around particularly the behaviours, but some of the other areas. It's where we kind of, I guess, bring together our kind of both free and paid for content for people to learn. Um, which is obviously aligned to the profession map, but it's where the self-assessment sits also, So, and the reflections. So it's kind of bringing together that, this is what I think I might want to do. These are some of the things, not all of them, because you know not everything will be COPD related. There will be other external activity, but here's the stuff that potentially I'm going to access to enable. And then here's my opportunity to both kind of log that and reflect on it. And this is the thing, isn't it? It's actually it, making use of all the, there's so much resource there is actually it's making the time to make use of it. Because after all, we're paying a professional membership and people go, oh, I'm paying that. But if you put it into context, if you're just using a little bit of it every week, you'd be getting tremendous value from it. Uh, but you've got to actually put the time in to be able to, to get to it and, and, and get value from it. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's... Um... When I look at some of the stuff around the behaviours in there and kind of the, the free kind of short online sessions that you can access, they're so valuable. And I think, as you said, as a member, it's easy to kind of just go, oh, well, I've done my call or I'm doing this, but I'm not necessarily that focused on what else is going on. So, yeah, I think sometimes just taking that time to explore some of the possibilities that are there, because, yeah, there's a huge amount available and a huge amount kind of wherever you are in your career that can support you. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully, obviously, people who listen to this podcast, they do do some self-development because they're listening to your podcast. So they might be inclined yes. to, to, do, to use it. But certainly, I think about myself personally, it is, it's sometimes challenging to make time. But I feel like sometimes when you're in an organisation, and particularly I'm thinking of people who perhaps they've got a very small HR team or it's just them, it's very easy to almost you download your knowledge and you kind of you can run out of steam. Whereas if you go and just listen to something or read something or talk to someone, it's surprising how often in the next week or so you find an opportunity to apply that. So because you see those connections, of course, to, to something um, which you wouldn't have otherwise have done. So it is interesting to keep things fresh uh, in terms yeah, of. Yeah, and I think so many of us are in the profession because we are passionate about the development of people and the management of people. And that includes ourselves. And I think it's that real sense of as a profession, I often, when I speak to colleagues who work for other professional bodies, I feel really blessed that I work within a profession who are passionate about developing others and always also developing themselves. But equally, it can sometimes be cobbler's children. It's that sense of, right. I'm so busy doing everything for everyone else. When do I get that time for myself um, to focus on those things? But as you say, it, it sparks new ideas. It sparks new thinking. And yeah, you kind of just then, you know, you're on the lookout for things, I think, in a slightly different way. Absolutely. So um, certainly I'm motivated to go and have another look in at it myself. Uh, where are you going next with it, Victoria, in terms of this? Have you got future plans to, to take it further? Yeah, so what we committed to when we launched it in November 2018 was to keep it up to date. So what we didn't want to do, 2018 and, and the work that had gone into it was a massive exercise in terms of putting it all together. And it was such a rewarding one. But equally, we wanted to kind of go, let's ensure that this keeps up to date as opposed to us going perfect, launched, we'll come back to you in kind of five or six years. So 
So twice a year, um, we undertake a kind of review of research evidence that will fit into some of the areas. We also do um, obviously some checking with members and non-members and some of the organisations that we work with. So what we've done, um, the latest kind of iterations, which were November of last year, um, we really looked at um, things like people analytics as a specialist knowledge area and redeveloped that because there'd been quite a significant change, I guess, in the standards required. We've embedded and included some more things on AI because goodness knows it's what everyone is talking about at the moment. So our approach very much is to as a kind of set of standards, as a map, is to try and keep it as up to date as possible and to focus on that and to ensure that it continues to be fit for purpose. The bits that sit around it, I guess, we're continually going, okay, where are these new areas then? What are the bits of learning content that we need to develop? What are the bits that we um, can pull on to kind of further showcase, but also obviously add value to our members? Um, we're always looking at how can we ensure that what we've got in the profession map is fully embedded within our qualifications and how we're ensuring that those students are really kind of trying to time restrictions aside, kind of embed those great practices of CPD and reflective learning as they go through their qualifications also. But yeah, it's very much a, we want to keep it up to date rather than we're going to do another review in a year yeah. or so. Yeah, so you keep going. So those two examples that you um, just got, well, data analytics and AI, are they splitting in specialist knowledge? If someone said, oh, actually I need to up my game in those areas, where would they find that content? So people analytics in particular is a specialist knowledge area. Um, AI sits across a number of different things. So it, and it, this is kind of actually probably a better example to give, um, if you'll forgive me from kind of steering away from your question. Um, so when we first launched the map, well-being didn't exist as a specialist knowledge area in its own. At the time that we were doing it, it very much sat across the core knowledge and it sat in some of the other specialist areas. but there weren't quite the kind of the standards and the practice that would enable us to have a specialist knowledge area to sit on its own. Obviously, quite quickly that changed. So we introduced the new wellbeing knowledge area. Um, and actually what was great with that was we'd been working very closely with the NHS about embedding the profession map within everything they do as a people function. And so we were able to really say to them, actually, we've got these new standards that we're considering putting in can we test with you? They had lots of views as to what that might look like also. So they were just one organization that we worked with. But as I guess we're doing this kind of more um, iterative, iterative approach, um, it does mean you know we're able to work with individuals and organizations and kind of go, okay, how do we shift some of those things? So um, you know, if it required it in the future, we'd be completely up for putting a new area in, in terms of core knowledge, in terms of behavior or specialist knowledge. To date, it's been more kind of changes around the specialist knowledge side of things. And then the core knowledge has been kind of more updating and the behaviors piece. But yeah, it really enables us to kind of make those changes as we want to and kind of focus on things that are emerging and growing within the profession. So some of them you're weaving in to core knowledge and things like that. And then you're, some of them would become specialist yeah. knowledge in their own right. Um, just for my own understanding, and I'm, I don't know if it's an easy answer or not, does that uh, is there a finite number of core knowledge and core behaviour modules, if you like, where a specialist knowledge could be 
add, you can add in new modules or are they all additional modules? So we haven't set a number, but clearly what we want to have is something that is manageable for individuals. So we try and group on themes wherever possible. And I think particularly where you're looking at the core knowledge, which is what we would expect most people to have an understanding of. We want to have that body of knowledge, which is, of course, critical, but we don't want it to be so unwieldy that no individual could ever possibly know yeah. half of the things that are in it. So it's a real balancing act. We don't have a fixed number, um, but I think we potentially wouldn't go much bigger than the size it is at the moment, because I think things kind of tend to group within themes and we can typically kind of pull things together to go, right, how do these things contribute to each other? So that makes sense of core knowledge because I feel like that would be, and maybe you'd update the knowledge, but yeah, it was something like specialist knowledge. I don't like AI that no one was talking about five years ago. Would that be a stand? Would you have? Would you potentially bring in additional modules in terms of specialist knowledge, or again, would you try and keep a finite number and build them out? Um, I think potentially we'd consider it. So again, if I go back to kind of the well-being one, that was one that historically did sit across a number as opposed to standing on its own and we decided that we would move it out to its own area um, given um, the focus that it has and the importance and actually that desire from people to go what does this world look like what does well-being look like in the world of work so yeah entirely we we would kind of make that judgment call as to what's the most appropriate way to showcase it and to showcase those standards fantastic okay well um i think i, I feel much more up to speed with the uh, with the copd profession map and hope hopefully our listeners do and feel encouraged to go and check it out maybe do some self-assessment book some time in each week to uh, polish up their knowledge and skills and take advantage of the resources that you, you've got there for us. Um, Victoria, I guess if people wanted to get hold of you personally, I mean, I know you're more internally focused, could they reach out to you on LinkedIn or have you got a preference? Yeah, of course I am on there. So yeah, just connect, happy to answer questions and point people in the right direction. But yeah, I mean, thank you so much for inviting me. I just encourage people to go and have a look. Um, the response to it has been really, really positive. Um, and it, you know, I think it is genuinely a great resource. I agree, I, absolutely. So I'll check out the show notes, guys. I'm gonna get some extra links from Victoria to make sure we can go straight to wherever you want to go on the website um, as well. So thank you so much for joining me on the HR Uprising podcast. Thanks, Lucinda. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.